Revelation chapter 15. What do you feel in your heart when you think about the very end of all things? Is it comforting or is it scary or exciting or dreadful? Uh, Probably a mix of all those things, if I had to guess. I know it is for me. You kind of want it to happen and don't want it to happen, or it sounds wonderful or scary all at the same time. But one of the main themes of Revelation for the believer is that we must not live in fear of the world or of the evil one and all of his schemes, and we definitely don't need to fear the end of everything. The book of Revelation means that God is the one who owns the future. So no matter how scary the text might might be in talking about the things that are and the things that are to come, God is the one orchestrating this. That is for the hope of believers. We don't know, of course, exhaustively all the ways in which God's plan will finally get wrapped up. And there's disagreement among brothers and sisters in Christ as to how this will all end, but we do know it will happen, right? We do all agree on that. And we also know, because of the word and promise, what our destiny is because of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is tied to his cross. It is tied to his resurrection and his lordship. And one day, every single stain of the curse will be removed from our existence forever and ever and ever. All of this, as we know it, is going to end. And Jesus will be the Son, and God will be all in all. And so the world in its present form will end. This will end in God's righteous judgment to the glorious and joyful praise of His redeemed people. Let me pray one more time and we'll get into this passage. Father, we do thank You for Your promise and for Your sovereignty by which we can trust in all these things knowing that you will bring them about in your way and in your time. And so, Lord, encourage us tonight as we go through this passage. Lift up our hearts to you. Give us hope rather than panic or fear in the days in which we live, in which you have placed us. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read the first four verses here. Chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with the harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. In chapter 15, the scene shifts again, this time from earth to heaven. The final judgment cycle of seven. Remember, there are three cycles of seven that structure Revelation for us, the final cycle of seven is about to be revealed from heaven. It doesn't get revealed in full in chapter 15, but it's about to begin. So the parenthetical visions we've been in for a while, 
between, if you remember, the cycle of seven trumpets and the coming cycle of seven bulls, that parentheses of visions that begin in chapter 12 ends tonight in chapter 15. Those parenthetical visions brought us once more to the final judgment at the end of history and the end of all things. But first, before that happens, John sees another sign in heaven before that final cycle of seven of the bulls begins. And by calling this, by starting out this chapter with those words, another sign, John is connecting this vision with the vision of the heavenly woman and the dragon who wore against her and her child that we looked at all those weeks ago in chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 3. The seven angels in verse 1 of 15 bring with them absolutely earth-shattering significance, right? Since they carry the seven plagues that are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So the outpouring of the seven bowls of God's wrath, it reveals the end of history from seven different perspectives, as we will see in chapter 16, and the termination of the first heaven and the first earth when read in light of 21.1. So the bull cycle that begins in Revelation 16 will basically give us an even deeper and more detailed picture of the um, the cosmic inferno that we got a glimpse of in the sixth seal back in chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, the destruction of the earth and the sky, and the seventh trumpet celebration in heaven in chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. So as we move on into chapter 16, God willing, I guess in two weeks, we're, we're um, getting further detail on what we saw in those two passages. And John will be given even more perspective on the completion of God's wrath at the end of history in Revelation 19 and 20. We're going to be in wrath for a while here. Remember, beloved, the order in which John sees the visions is not necessarily the chronological order in which the events they symbolize happen in history. And you can see that just by looking at the text, that things we've read before, they come back into the text and vice versa. And so the visions that follow the bull cycle that we're going into in chapter 17 and 18, the final destruction of Babylon, the defeat of the beasts and the dragon in 19 and 20, those are giving us those different camera angles on the same battle at the end of history. A battle in which God and His Christ, our Lord and Savior, will triumph. So, as with the trumpets, John gets a glimpse of the seven angels who will inflict the last plagues, the bulls, on the earth here in verse 1. But then in verses 2 and 8 of chapter 15, where we are tonight, he gets a glimpse of the heavenly worship and glory that's happening in heaven before these angels inflict those plagues. In chapter 16, these verses show us another appearance, a second appearance of the Lamb's great choir army on Mount Zion that we first saw in the beginning of chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. These singers are those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name here in 15, verse 2. If you remember, back in chapter 14, verse 4, this same group that we're seeing now was called the first fruits. Right, identifying them as those who had persevered in faith, even in persecution to the death in chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. This group is the foretaste that we saw in 14 of the whole harvest of God's people 
that we read about in 14, 14 through 16. When we see them here described as conquerors, these first fruits, sometimes overcomers in the text, depending on what translation you're reading, we realize that the way things appear when we're looking at them from earth, all right, they are that we look at things from earth. It's a negative image of reality. But the perspective of heaven that we're seeing in 15 on these things allows us to see the actual truth of the believer's situation. So from an earthly perspective, of course, we saw the beast overcame the saints in chapter 11 and chapter 13. But in fact, they were the ones that overcame their enemies by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony back in 1211. And we're seeing again, this is what it looks like from heaven. To die in faith is to overcome this world, beloved. It is not to suffer defeat. Even if the only suffering we experience is our own personal fight to maintain faith in Christ, which is its own battle, its own suffering sometimes. But our death is victory. There will never be a circumstance of our deaths that is not a victory if we die in faith, the enemy will never win. He will never have the final say over you or I. These are the things you want to draw mainly from Revelation. These are the beautiful truths it proclaims to us. Now we see this choir army in heaven standing on what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire in verse 2. Back, way back in chapter 4, verse 6, this sea of glass was the pavement of crystal that proceeding from God's throne, right? These believers stand before God's throne, just as they did back in chapter 14, verse three, to sing their song of victory. And again, they're holding their harps. I love this. Anytime you see a climax of worship in scripture, all the instruments are there and the stringed instruments are always there. The most glorious worship of God we see in the Bible has strings in it. I'm very, very excited. I know I've mentioned this before to have Ben here and playing the guitar for us. Please understand that makes our worship more like what is described in the Bible. Their song here, it is now called the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb in verse three. We've seen the song of the lamb, this song now They're singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. It's Moses' song. Why? Because when God victoriously liberates his people from bondage and destroys their enemies, as at the Exodus in chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, his people sing. They sing. But this is also here the song of the Lamb, a new song from chapter 14, verse 3. Because the Lamb has won the ultimate and final victory for us, the ultimate deliverance and freedom from bondage through His life, death, and resurrection. They are singing that here in light of the fact that Christ has risen from the dead after His suffering and ascended. And so all these beautiful songs of celebration throughout Scripture, when God would deliver His people, they're all coming to a head in Revelation. His coming judgment is the last and great exodus for his people. It is the ultimate salvation of God that was really only foreshadowed in the exodus. God's new act of redemption that is coming from the earth, right? Saving his people from the earth. That reality elicits new songs of praise 
from his people, as it always has. Remember the words of Psalm 98, 1 through 2, right? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nation. So the words of this new song in Revelation 15, they're a mixture, a very deliberate mixture of Old Testament praises for God's perfections that have been revealed throughout all his glorious interventions on his people, his people's behalf when he judged their enemies. You see the, you see these very words in scripture before words like great and amazing that we see here are from Deuteronomy 28 59. Just and true are your ways. That's from Deuteronomy 32 4. King of the nations who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. That's from Jeremiah 10 7. So again, the entire sweep of biblical revelation is culminating in the book of Revelation. This is what all of it was pointing to. The victory of Christ at the end of all things. Great and amazing were the words used to describe God's plagues on the Egyptians back in Deuteronomy 28. As well as this very sign of heaven back in chapter 15 or very sign in heaven in verse 1 of this chapter. The same words, great and mighty. Remember the martyrs were crying out to God in lament back in chapter 6 verse 10. But that has become a song of celebration here Precisely because the justice they were crying out for in chapter 6 in 15 has happened. It's taken place. It's come in this text. Later in chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, when the third bowl is poured out, turning rivers and springs into blood for the ones who spilt the blood of the saints, the third angel will call God just and holy. More words from this song of praise. So the right response to the final display of God's justice in verse 4 is reverent fear. Look, look again, not terror, reverence, awe. Look at verse 4 again. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. All the nations will come and worship God, as God has always prophesied, because it is now clear in and through Christ and the salvation of his people, that God truly is the king of the nations. He runs the world. And so his troubled and burdened church on earth that often seems so weak and outnumbered can never forget the fact that God's kingdom is growing powerfully and unstoppably even through our weakness. Even through our weakness. This innumerable multi-ethnic host that John has seen gathered around God's throne in chapter 7, verse 9, that is a preview of the new Jerusalem, beloved. These choirs are a preview of the end of all things. They're all the redeemed from every nation. Walk in the light of the Lamb. We'll read that in chapter 21, verses 23 to 24. They bring their glory and honor, and we lay them at His feet in 21, 26. And we find healing for all our sorrows and injuries in the leaves of his tree of life in 22, 2 to 3. What a beautiful scene. Right, pick it up in verse 5. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came these seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with, linen with golden sashes around their chests. 
And one of the four living creatures, you remember those, gave to the seven angels seven golden bulls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So here are the angels that were introduced to us in verse 1 as those that have the last seven plagues are now given a more elaborate description, right? Just as at the start of the seal cycle of seven, back in four one, and the trumpet cycle of seven in eight one through five, as well as the vision of the woman and the dragon in eleven nineteen and in twelve one, the bull cycle begins with the opening of heaven in verse five. It's always revelation, right? So these angels have been commissioned then because they're coming out in the very presence of God himself in the holiest chamber of the heavenly tabernacle. They come out to receive their golden bulls and each one of them is filled to the brim with the wrath of the righteous and holy God who lives forever and ever that will be poured out on those who have persecuted his people and destroyed his creation. And just like the angelic messenger whose appearance overpowered Daniel back in his vision in Daniel 10:5 these angels are clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests in verse 6 we then see God's amazing glory displayed in a cloud of smoke that fills the temple and keeps anyone from entering the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished in verse 8 the smoke or the cloud of glory We've seen this all through God's word. The cloud of glory of God's unapproachable, blazing holiness filled the tabernacle on the day it was consecrated in Moses' time. Way back in Exodus 40, 34. The same cloud in the temple when it was completed by Solomon in 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11. Isaiah saw it in the year that King Uzziah died in Isaiah 6, 1. The smoke was so intimidating, remember? That the priests couldn't even enter the sanctuary and perform their ministry. There was too much of the glory of God in that cloud. Here in John's vision, this cloud of glory doesn't just convey God's holiness here. It also draws our attention to the moment his heavenly creatures can come back into his presence when his plagues are finished. Right, And that word finished that we read there takes us back to verse 1 where it was revealed that these seven angels bring with them the plagues that show the wrath of God has been finished, completed. All the trumpet calls of warning have been sounded, beloved, when we get to chapter 15. The patient delay that God in His indescribable mercy has given to the earth, described back in chapter 10, verse 6, remember? There's like that that last warning that it's coming. Now it's over when this happens. This is it. And plagues will pour out without interruption from bulls that are filled with God's righteous wrath, bringing desolation on everything infected by the curse. The end has come. This is the end of the world as we know it in our lives today. This could happen in our lifetime. It may happen very far from now. The two scenes of God's redeemed people singing a song to celebrate the, trams, the, the Lamb's triumph in 14, 1 through 5, and here in 15, 1 through 4, 
and the song of Moses and the Lamb to celebrate the final revelation of God's justice, these form the boundaries of this section for us. What God is showing us in this parenthetical you know, cycle of visions here between the seven trumpets and the seven bowls is a picture of the final judgment and the redemption of His people. In between these two scenes in 14, 1 through 5, and 15, 1 through 4, in between these two scenes of glorious singing, John heard three angels who announced the coming judgment that we're about to read about in 16. They announced that back in chapter 14, verses 6 through 13. And he saw the Son of Man and three other angels reap the earth's inhabitants, which of course would be a a part of the judgment we're reading here, or take place at the end of this judgment, in 14, 14 through 20. We looked at that last week. Remember the faithful were reaped into God's barn as precious grain, while the unbelieving were pictured as grapes to be cast into the winepress of God's wrath and trampled to death. The announcing angels introduced Babylon, the great city, into the text in chapter 14, verse 8. Babylon is basically the last character to come on stage in this cosmic drama. All the players have been revealed. Begin with the first great sign in Revelation 12.1. This is another great sign. The character that is, back in 12.1, the character that is the heavenly mother of the Messiah was introduced. Here you see those words again, the great sign in 15.1-8. These, these angels don't just predict the fall of Babylon. These angels predict the eternal torment of fire and sulfur. They await the ones who gave their allegiance to the beast. Again, whether its incarnation was Rome, as it was in their time, or any other human state that sets itself up as God by aligning itself with the beast. And I I, want to talk about this again for just a minute, because we really need to learn to think like we are not of this world. And beloved, you and I, cannot trust the state. We can't trust the state. And I am not calling for any type of insurrection or rebellion or anything like that. I I think that's going to come one way or the other, to be frank with you, because I don't think our nation can sustain civility the way things are are occurring and the way things seem to be going, right? I'm not trying to be scary with that and I'm not a prophet I just it seems like we're approaching the point where those that have tried to be respectful are about to stop you know and I saw one one person said what's going to happen when the people that just want to be left alone get involved right and you think about I I lament I was reading a, a fantastic article this week I should have should have brought it in um, when, you, when you have young kids right now, and I'm not saying people that don't, don't feel these things. I'm just speaking of if you do have kids, you know, you, you, my wife and I were talking today um, at lunch. It was really nice. We really don't get to sit and talk just her and I that much, and all the little rugrats were at home, so we had this great, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's sad because... The America they will 
go into is, is very much unlike the one we grew up in. For us, we still have memories of the 80s. And for my generation, the 80s were like the best decade ever. And But we forget that God... Those God had those children be born for this time. Right? These are the ones God has given to this time. They're not here by mistake. Right? They're not... It, it, it's not like they have no hope. This is the time God has given these children to the earth. Our children, right? So it's, it's, He's still in control of everything, even the, the days and times in which our children will grow up. So rather than kind of, you know, I, I feel the conviction of that, rather than trying to protect them completely from what's to come, it might be better to prepare them to live like saints in the days that are to come, right? It's, it's, we can't lament that it isn't like it was for us, for them. Because God is in charge of all these things. But, but again, the, the beloved, I just, we really need to be discerning from here on out more than we have been in the past with what we believe. All right. I mean, there has been, there's so much information that comes out that is not revealed to the public that isn't from biased sources, right? Just objective facts. I would encourage you because of the day in which we live, read the Pfizer report on the vaccine. Read it, okay? Because that's not any news outlet telling you about it. It's Pfizer, the producers of their vaccine saying, here's what we found now that it's out. And I would encourage you to read it. I'm not going to get into it because, again, as a pastor... I think I need to be very careful about how I sway our opinions, right? But I would encourage you to read that. I, I really would. And just take that into the next wave of whatever gets pulled next to reset our culture, right? And again, I'm not, this is not what preachers are supposed to do. Okay. I just don't, I don't want to act like things aren't happening and, you know, we can't say anything. Of course we can. I just remember that the state is aligned with Satan. It, it, whether they know it or not, because that's not how the state is not how God brings his kingdom to the earth. So if, if it's if it's not Christ, it's against Christ. If it's not for him, it's against him. Don't forget that, please, please. The harvesters from heaven. In 14 through 16 of chapter 14, they reminded us. That the martyrs back in 6-9 were only the first fruits of believers from the earth. But the harvesters also remind us that the faithless unbelieving have not only plunged themselves into a senseless stupor. You remember that back in 14. But they're also going to drain the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. Beloved, God is not mocked. This is what we're finding. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. In Galatians 6, 7. And we always think about, and rightfully so, as that was the, the main context in which it was given, we always think of that in, in the negative, right? That God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. That is foundationally a statement of God's character. So in no way can God be mocked. In no way is God going to be unjust. So, yes, if we sow unbelief and rejection of God, we will reap His wrath. No question. But 
If by grace through faith we believe in Christ for our, for our salvation, you and I won't reap what we have sown. We will reap what Jesus has sown for us. Here in chapter 15, seven angels are sent out from God's heavenly sanctuary. They're ready to pour out bowls full of plagues on the unbelieving, bringing complete and final destruction to the old sin-ridden, curse-infected earth. What we're about to read, we get into the next time we gather here on Sunday night, is the description of how things are going to end before Christ returns and wraps it up. That's what we're getting into now. The world in its present form, beloved, will end. It will end. It was never going to last forever. The moment we fell, it will end in God's righteous judgment to the joyful and glorious praise of His redeemed people. Are you in this number? Do you believe tonight that God is telling you the truth? Then, beloved, receive and rest in God's victorious Son. This is the best thing, the wisest thing anybody can do. It doesn't matter what the world tells us. It doesn't matter how the future of earth is going to go. What matters is God's promise because it will not fail. And God will not be mocked. He will never put himself in a position to be mocked. So again, that means he will pour out his wrath on those that deserve it. So he can't be mocked for being unjust in letting people go. But he also can't be mocked as unjust for saving people because his punishment for that was poured out on his son. That is the number you and I want to be counted in when the role is called up yonder.